Hey guys, welcome back to the Nutrition Expedition. Before today's episode, we just wanted to say, we're not qualified specialists. If you have any issues, see a healthcare professional. The daily posts, including recipes, exercises, nutrition facts, and calorie comparisons, follow us on Instagram at The Nutrition Expedition. Peace. Hey everyone, before we start this podcast, I just wanted to give a brief message to start off. Firstly, the audio for this podcast was a bit clicky and we're sorry about that and we'll try to fix that for next podcast and we'll make sure it doesn't happen again, but uh, we thought it was such an important podcast that we really wanted to keep it and it was worth sending out anyways, but yeah, we just wanted to give a quick shout out to McManix Media and you can find it on the link of our description on our Instagram. Uh, It's a good mate of ours, Logan, who has started his own professional photography business. And as you can see, we've started to use some of these photos that he took of us. And if you have any need for professional photos, make sure to check him out. So thanks again to Logan for the photos you made for us. And yeah, if you check them in our Instagram posts, you'll see how great they are. And it's gave us a new, fresh look. So thanks again. All right, we'll get into the episode. All right, episode 33. We're lucky enough to be joined by a successful author and advocate around helping people with eating disorders, Eva Moosby. Thank you very much for coming on. It's lovely to meet you too. All the way from the UK. Indeed. <laughs> the other side of the world. Love it. So we, we obviously love having people from overseas. Uh, very privileged to have people you know, all around the world due to Zoom helping us. Uh, with our nutritional and mental health journey. So uh, firstly, I'd just like to ask you, Eva, uh, what got you into into and interested in eating disorders to begin with? I didn't ever wish to be interested in them. And, um, I, uh, I had some very, I had probably some common misconception about, you know, what is anorexia, some kind of kind of selfish, self-obsessed disease. And then my daughter, age 10, was um, hit by anorexia. And she'd been a happy kid and everything had been normal. So I had to learn extremely quickly. And then as we learned and I found the tricks to really help her out of it, I thought that was such a steep learning curve. I want to write this for others. So that's how I ended up writing a book. And I, I thought it would quickly be done and dusted and... 10, 11 years later, um, I just uh, had developed so much expertise. I'm, I'm just continuing updating it all the time. That's amazing. And especially that you at first didn't even want to get into it and you, you hoped that you wouldn't even uh, have to get into it. But now you've helped so many people over your career. You probably are thankful in a way that you are into eating disorders and you have wrote the book you have. It's an it's a very meaningful occupation, yeah. When you're when you're trying to think what you want to do with your life, uh, yeah. my life has gone in various stages, and I I would never ever wish this on anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But you you take what life gives you, and you make something good of it, and it is very beautiful to help other families. Yes. So to start off, I just want to ask you, how would you describe anorexia in your words, and some of the emotional states around having anorexia? So anorexia is is about um, cutting down your food and it becomes an obsession. 
So at the beginning, it feels rather nice. People compliment you because we are in a society that is has rather disordered views on body shape yeah. and uh, and on and on so-called healthy eating. So you get all these compliments, and then it um, and you feel in control, I guess. Uh, you feel oh, this is good. I'm feeling good. But then uh, the illness controls you. It seems to be. Um, uh, a mechanism that happens in the brain due to malnutrition that you become obsessive and uh, very low mood and very distorted thinking, delusional at yeah. its worst. It's severely delusional. Uh, you can then get increased anxiety. You can get OCD symptoms, obsessive compulsive. So it's, it's very scary. It's not just a bit of unhappiness. It, it really looks oh my gosh, this is a mental illness. And yeah, and anorexia has quite a lot in common with the other eating disorders. That's um, maybe something so for, for the listeners who say, oh, anorexia has nothing to do with me. I tend to eat too much. You know, it's the other way around. Um, the, the, the modern wisdom is that these all the eating disorders involve restriction. And as soon as you restrict, you then launch the cycle of obsession, compulsion, not having your body not getting what it needs. Mm. And when your body and brain don't get their needs met, they, um, they kick into famine mode, which tends to be, where's the food? Where's the food? And then the other side of your brain is going, oh, but I mustn't. So, you know, there's disordered eating. Uh, there's disordered exercising because that's all linked and then there's the continuum to it being a very scary mental illness mm. and what we'd just like to ask you obviously because your book that you have written it focuses on anorexia and all, also other eating disorders as well as the view of a parent uh, looking at a child or a, you know a loved one that has has an eating disorder and it's a very interesting perspective that you have what are some signs that, in your experience, um, opened your eyes to maybe thinking, "Oh wow, there must be there might be something wrong with with how this person is conducting themselves." So the the signs uh, are often like in holidays or lockdown, you realize your child is not eating very much, or you can see them being in tears after a meal. Uh, one of my signs was we were in a buffet restaurant type of thing situation and my little 10 year old was agonizing over what to help herself to in the restaurant because every choice was you know how how many calories in this or mm. is it tasty therefore I mustn't have it because I'm not allowed pleasurable things mm. so we, as a parent you see or maybe as a friend, you see this complicated, uh, agonizing decision-making involved in, in food. The person's lost all spontaneity, and then the anxiety is rising. So you see them in tears, um, you, and, then, and then they say obsessive things like, obsessively, am I fat? What does this look like? You might see them pinching their body to check it. Um, and then there's the horrible physical symptoms that obviously they, they may look thinner, but that is not a good criterion. Uh, I mean, by definition, anorexia means you're, uh, you've lost weight, but 
the restriction which affects the mental health can happen even with people who look like they have a fine body they're still starving uh, they still could be very malnourished so it's a um, you know when i'm thinking of um, we're talking about um, your age group your surroundings you may miss someone who has an eating disorder because their body looks fine but actually they're spending a lot of time restricting and then um, you may not notice the weight loss or they may not be weight loss because then they go and eat like crazy and then they kick themselves for having eaten and they yeah. uh, restrict very severely again and all that brings in um, it, you know it could bring in heart symptoms and um, fainting so as a, as a friend or parent you might see uh, my daughter looked like she was about to faint a few times and then mentally you see a real closing in on yourself. I think of eating disorders as activating the threat system in your nervous system. You know, the, the sympathetic nervous system is activated when it detects the threat. Yeah. If you're not eating regularly, that's a threat to the body. So um, it raises anxiety and it closes down it. It's fight, flight, or freeze. You know, the limbic system goes, we're in danger. So I treat everybody as an enemy. I hate everybody. Nobody loves me anyway. Um, very, very close down. And mm. a lot of parents say, I don't recognize my sweet kid anymore. And one of the most beautiful things parents say when the recovery starts is, I've seen glimpses of my old child. That's amazing. It's so good. Yeah. It feels amazing. Yeah. And uh, a few episodes ago, Mateo and I actually did an episode around uh, like negative body images. And we talked about the impact that social media has these days because uh, there's so many disordered images, as you mentioned earlier. Like people have this idea that they, ha- they needed a six pack. And myself, I, a few years ago, um, I was trying to lose weight and I got down to a weight and I took photos and I took photos of myself recently and I compared them. I'm like, I was too thin then and I don't want to be that thin because yes, I might have, I might th- think I look good, but in reality, I didn't feel good inside because I was deprived, as you mentioned, as a symptom. And um, I think it's so backwards because I, the only reason I wanted to be that way is because of what I saw online and this I- expectation that everyone, especially in the health area, should have a six pack and be ripped or whatever. So what do you think about the impact of social media on distorted imaging? Yeah, I'm, I'm terrified of it. And um, when I see neighbors uh, who have little boys, <laughs> I, I think if you had a little girl, you might be alert to the danger of anorexia. You know, that is seen as a female thing, which is very, very wrong. It's not the case. But um, the, I, I'm terrified of the social images for, for, for males because it's not, there's not the counterculture like feminism. Yeah. You know, most females know, oh, I'm getting obsessive about my figure, but it's also a feminist issue. You know, mm. I should have other values. But for males, I don't see that counterbalance. It's just seen as a virtue, yeah. uh, fitness, health. These are um distortions of the word you know health you presumably you did not feel healthy oh, big time, when yeah. you were Completely so miserable, agree, yeah. yeah 
In so, me, I yeah, it is yeah. scary. And and I guess um, we all have a role in just standing up to it. So when I hear fast talk, uh, I'm getting a little bit braver because there is a movement of body positivity. And again, that word can be distorted, but yeah. body positive means, you know, I accept or hopefully I like, uh, but I accept any shape and body are looking at the whole person, you know, and yet I hear comments. So I'll give you an example. I love salsa dancing. And at the beginning of the, the classes, there were messages on WhatsApp from other women, uh, 50 year old going, oh, I love it. It's doing wonders for my waistline. And I thought that's so horrible because we're having so much fun. I'm dancing. That's not what it's about. Yeah. And I just plucked up my courage to find the right forms of words and said, let's not talking about body shape. We are having such pleasure and the beauty is in the dancing and how we move. Mm. And I was delighted to get a very positive reaction all around. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's, you know, so we can combat fat talk if we're brave <laughs> um, because we step out of the norm in a way. Mm. Yeah. And so, and not just fat talk, but, you know, uh, uh, showing off pictures of the six pack, yeah. maybe publicizing people's weight, uh, because, you know, in the anorexia world, you want the weight to be as low as possible. But then in the so-called fitness world, the, the weight maybe needs to be high. Am I right? For yeah, the muscles? exactly. So I, I must just say for the people listening, I really don't know much about the fitness or bodybuilding mm. world so you'll have to just keep me right but um <clears throat> yeah to not publicize these things in the same way as when we're talking about um um how would you say you would not publicize your weight loss yeah or your calorie reduction that is triggering to people who are fighting so hard their mm. eating disorder yeah because they think they must do better yeah or worse depending on how you see it yeah, and, and just to lead back to the the child aspect of, of obviously a parent's perspective of someone with an eating disorder, how much of an impact do you think a parent has to their kid's recovery? How important do you think it is to have a, uh, a parent that, you know, is invested in helping their kid and not complacent and is always looking for the next step to always helping their kid to their recovery? It's uh, absolutely massive. It's massive because the best treatment that has been researched and uh, shown that there's very good evidence for it is called family-based treatment. And it involves putting the parents in charge of their child's treatment. So in the old days, the idea might have been you send your child to hospital and the nurses will do it all. And then there was a lot of... Um, also, it's all got to be psychotherapy. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about what happened to you to make you do this. But now we know it is so hugely biological. You need to get the child to eat three meals, three snacks a day, regain lost weight. And that applies whether it's anorexia or, or bulimia or binge eating disorder. You want to stop that restriction binge or restriction uh, it screws up my my hormones, my neurological processes. It screws up everything. So, parent, the parent's job is to be a very 
kind and compassionate but very determined ally in making meals possible when the young person by that time is in such a mental state that they every meal raises terrible anxiety it's it's a very sad job to do you can you can be coaxing your child to eat through the next mouthful and the next mouthful while they are howling with terror or while they are screaming at you and trying to throw plates and kick you so there's huge parental skills and i'm thinking you know for for the age group of many of your listeners that may be how they want to help a friend yeah and it's it's very hard because you it does instinctively it feels like the wrong thing to do when someone is so scared of doing something to to keep saying next mouthful next mouthful keep going yeah and that it's enough food that is not just what will what will placate the person they'll think well i'll eat this much but not anymore you don't get recovery that mm. way yeah and i actually made a post which i'm going to put on instagram very soon and it was about what to do after binge eating and the first thing i said is don't restrict yourself because all that's doing is feeding the binging because if you restrict you're not enjoying how you're eating and all you're going to want to do is eat the foods that you did eat when you binged secondly i said um don't guilt exercise because that's just going to make yourself hate exercise whereas exercise should be something we all love we should all find an activity that we like not just the gym like maybe a certain sport or dancing whatever it is there's exercise for everyone so i think that's really important but i just wanted to ask you sort of mentioned it then but what are your main principles around like your teachings the main principles um so the, my my, <clears throat> my focus is all on helping parents to help their child so the principles are um you're going to really be an ally and in an initial phase you're going to take charge because they can't the part of the brain of the ill person that part of their brain is just offline um they can't help themselves so you take on that you're you're their surrogate healthy brain and you're saying yes this is what you need to eat and then when they've recovered weight and they've recovered the habit of regular eating they have by then forgotten what spontaneous natural intuitive eating is you know the expression intuitive eating yeah. that's a concept i really like it's not for everybody but ideally it's the aim for recovery yeah so um <clears throat> it doesn't just happen overnight just because you've recovered lost weight and of course with young people they need to keep growing because of their age you know you need to keep increasing your weight a lot of people forget that and so um there is a phase in the treatment which is about coaching the person to um practice normal behaviors so it can be exercising less so that you're challenging the compulsion and the beliefs around it it could be um seeing your weight fluctuate so that you are not stuck about it must never go above this magic number it could be around the fear foods because um for years the person may have avoided all kinds of foods sadly again we're in this strange distortion of so-called healthy eating um and eating disorders often start with orthorexia which is not an official diagnosis but it's this 
obsession with healthy eating that gone very wrong. People, wow. people have forgotten what normal eating is. So you practice it, you practice it, and you need someone to coach you through it usually yeah. because you've forgotten what it is. So that's my message to parents. It's, it's, it's their role to coach all the way to normality, little experiments in freedom, uh, pull back if, it's, if a person can't act wisely. If they get back into restriction, quickly pull back, and then gradually, you know, they can fly with their own wings and they're they're independent. Yeah, and that's very interesting that you've you've said that. And and just to go into your teachings, your book, um, I believe it's called Anorexia and Other Eating Disorders. Uh, what could you give the listeners uh, that are listening now? What what a little overview as to what it, the book entails and what it is about. So it takes the parents through the method, which is um, uh, called family-based treatment, and it's been well-researched. And <clears throat> before I wrote the book, the problem was that the, the method told the parents, go home and feed your child. Mm. And the parents would go, well, thank you very much, but if I had known how to, if I had managed to do that, I wouldn't have <laughs> come for help. Yeah, yeah. It seems impossible to get someone um, with a strong urge to restrict to, to get them to eat. So I, many chapters of my book are all the practical how-tos, how to really be in a kind but persistent manner next to your child to get them to eat and how to expose them to fear food and desensitize them to the fear, fear food step by step. So there's a lot of practical chapters and then there's um, I put a big emphasis on communication because I think um, compassionate communication is the key to guiding anyone out of trouble. There can be a knee-jerk reaction. You know, people with a restricting eating disorder are actually quite annoying um, to a bystander. It's like, oh, stop being so fussy. You know, mm. you're so self-obsessed. And they're going, oh, I mustn't eat this, I mustn't eat that. And you just want to shout and scream at them. And when it's your child on top of that, you're scared they're going to die. Yeah. They really look like they're on the way to that. And the old statistics are horrendous. The new ones are better because of the new treatment. So um, there's a big, there's a lot in my book about communication and self-empathy and self-calming and well-being for the parent so that they can truly be a, a very, um, um, lots of empathy for, for the person. That That's very interesting. And I just want to ask, not only for people with uh, eating disorders, but people with any sort of mental health issue, what's your tip for parents around that? And what, what what other aspects would you incorporate into basically support for them? So, do you know, other mental health issues, in a way, sometimes I'm grateful that out of all the mental health disorders my daughter could have had, it was an eating disorder because they are treatable. When someone has schizophrenia or you know, some of these mental health disorders are you know, there is no current treatment, it's, you know, there's just medication to keep it in check. Yeah. Um, so I feel very, um, I feel a lot for the parents dealing with that. So a big, a big thing such parents with a child with a mental health disorder must do is learn wisdom for themselves 
to really stay well and and look for moments to enjoy life even when their life is so difficult um learning communication skills uh getting lots of good information because you would be surprised how the best treatments are not always known yeah uh, so for example my my website gets visited internationally and at the moment in france or in germany for example the, the treatments are like they were in the uk in the us in australia in new zealand how they were 20 years ago and we know they don't work so for parents to get really well informed uh, is is massive yeah. the sad thing with an eating disorder is the is that people can look for the information but they may find all kinds of things which uh, look like useful information and they actually just reinforce the eating disorder so that's a bit scary uh, you know how to how to um, eat a little bit more and exercise a lot more you know that, that kind of uh, you know it's not me treating the eating disorder yeah yeah and, and and one thing i'd like to discuss with you especially is that some parents may have no past or no previous history within their family to do with mental illness or eating disorders and it can become quite hard for them to understand what their child or what their loved one is going through what do you think should be the first step or the first resort for that parent to do if they feel like they're not understanding what's going on and they feel like it's just hit them out of the blue what is the first thing that you, that you would be able to say for them to do to be able to combat this this disorder or mental illness the first thing i would say is go and see a specialist immediately i i held back a bit long thinking oh it's a psychological thing if i talk with my daughter um she'll let go of this obsession mm. but to get an experts and there are special list eating disorder treatments and you get them urgently you don't wait three months you can, you know in the uk there are actually um standards that say you you don't wait more than a week before treatment starts mm -hmm. and that's how quickly you, you know early intervention and and one of the mo the first things parents are told uh in order to not criticize and be judgmental and hit their child hard with harsh criticism and irritation is they say it's an illness your child is not the illness Hmm. Um, there's illness on the one hand and then there's your child and at the moment it's like I like to say it's like your child has got a hijacker holding a gun to the yeah. head and saying if you eat I will ruin your life I will ruin everyone else's life I, I, I will kill somebody I will kill your parents I will kill you you're a pig you're a bad person so to for, for the parents to have a few analogies to really understand my child looks bloody mind at the moment they look like a little rude so-and-so but actually they're terrified yeah. to keep remembering there are it looks like they're in control but they're actually not they're, they're they're trying to reduce their anxiety i tend to say that parents they're in fight or flight it's horrible to feel such anxiety and by eating less they can reduce their anxiety so it makes perfect sense that they should fight you when mm. you're trying to, to, to get them to eat. Yeah. Mm. And can I ask you, you spoke about seeing specialists straight away. What are the specialists that you should be seeing 
if your child has any sort of yeah. disorder? Well, normally the GP is the, uh, the one who would tell you where the specialists are. In Australia, where you are, in the UK, uh, it's uh, for young people, it's CAMS. Uh, I've heard Australians call it CAMS, <laughs> Child and Adolescent Mental Health Services. Right. For adults, it will be some other thing through whatever the health service is. In America, it's, it starts off with the pediatrician, then recommending where to go uh, is with, with private health care. So you have to look for someone who is highly trained and experienced in eating disorders because, um, and, and certainly for young people, I would absolutely go for family-based treatment as a first port of call. Mm because the, the research there is the strongest. To the extent that in the UK, that's in the standards. That's the first method to use. Um, did I answer your question there? Perfect, <laughs> yeah. And, and just the last one before we get into uh, our last question that we, we usually ask our guests. What do you think a parent, uh, how do I word this? A parent, if they're seeing their child have certain symptoms that we're talking about uh, in this episode, what 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 should they look for to distinguish whether it's an eating disorder or whether it's just their child being picky with food or not just not wanting to eat much food? Now, it's such an important question because we we are in a society where uh, disordered eating is kind of applauded mm. and it's the norm and um, and disordered exercising, compulsive exercising. So. It's very difficult for a parent um, to tell, and often they can only really tell when they start seeing the anxiety rising and the absolute refusal to eat a food that they used to love. Yeah. Um, it just starts looking crazy. But it's a problem because ideally you would intervene very early. So um, this is called prodromal. Uh, stage. It's before the symptoms are diagnosable. They don't tick all the boxes, but the standard advice is you intervene as early as you can, even before it ticks all the boxes. So it does absolutely no harm when you see someone who is starting to restrict and look a bit weird and a little bit compulsive around their exercise. There's no harm, certainly as a parent, it's harder as a friend or a spouse, but as a parent, you have a care, caring role, caretaking role. So it does no harm to say, um, darling, I, I don't think your eating or your exercising is quite normal right now. I'm just going to um, to make sure that you eat regularly. For, for, let, let's, let's sit down for meals together for a week and let's see how it goes. And if they see big resistance, they know it's an eating disorder. Mm. And in fact, quite a good test, this is probably closer to what you asked me, um, Matteo, is if you think someone might have an eating disorder, a good test is to take them for a lovely meal somewhere and then see if they have, have an anxiety reaction. Uh, you know, give them a big slice of birthday cake or whatever. Now, you then have to watch how they are the rest of the day because they might be fine eating that big birthday cake, but then they're restricting later and you see the panic later. So this is why lockdown or holidays can be really good to, to detect these problems. 
because you're seeing maybe enthusiastic eating because the person, you know, so many kids miss breakfast. The parents yeah. don't know. Then they go to school, they don't eat at school or hardly. And then when they come back home by six o'clock, they allow themselves to eat plenty. So the parents don't really know there's a meeting disorder. So um, having a test meal and then observing for the result can be good. And the same with exercise. If, if someone is always going to the gym or always going for a run, and then one day they have an injury, or you can say, do you know, instead of exercising today, let's go to the cinema. And if you see the panic reaction, then you know there's a, there's a compulsion there. And when there's a compulsion, there's no joy, and it may be the start of any other, it may be a sign of an eating disorder. But there's still, for parents, certainly there's a, you know, you want to guide your child to joy and freedom and spontaneity. I think that was, a, that was a great answer, and that explained a great tip to everyone overall, so thanks for that. And I just wanted to go on to the last point. We ask all our guests, as Mateo said, what is one tip for listeners that you would give to improve their overall health in any way? Um, find joy. Find freedom. Let go of the rules. Let go of all the... Do you know this anxiety around, I must conform, I must look good, I must be loved for my body, I must be loved for my performance. Live, live. Life is safe. Your body knows what to do. Things are safe. You know, natural, like I said, intuitive eating, balance, balance and, and trusting your body is a wonderful thing. And it, yeah. it, it takes care of you when mm, you I let love it. That. That's an amazing answer. Yeah, and this has been an amazing episode, an amazing talk uh, with someone that's very, very obviously very informed about this this topic. And we just like at the end of each episode, we like to give our guests an opportunity for for them to you know share where our listeners can find them and any any platforms that they have. So, Eva, just like to tell us where where where, where anyone can um, can find you online. Sure. So uh, my uh, name for this field is Eva Musby, E-M-U-S-B-Y. So if you just Google Eva Musby, there's only the one. Yeah. <laughs> That's me. And my website is anorexiafamily.com. And uh, so I'm on, you know, if you, if you look for Facebook, Twitter, website, Amazon for my book, it's, it's all under that name. Amazing. And we just wanted to thank you again, Eva, for coming on and... It's a topic that I think most people need more understanding of and because how, of how prevalent it is in today's society, we need as a society to understand it and really look out for others to ensure that we move forward in a better way. Yes, thank you. I'm, I'm so delighted you asked me because I hadn't thought of this. And um, do you think we should maybe add something for your listeners that if they recognize some of what I've said in themselves um, to really encourage them to, to not be ashamed yeah. and to disclose it to somebody because it, it is um, a situation where we can't usually do it by ourselves um, in the same way as I describe kids really needing their parents help uh, at all age it's been found that people need help. Yeah. I think that's a great way to end the podcast and 
yeah, as you said, I think that's really important for anyone to do, and it's a brave thing to do. Yeah, you don't be embarrassed by by the situation. It's not something you chose, so um, don't be embarrassed to speak up about it and to reach out to anybody close to you uh, and look for help. So I think that's a great message to end the the, the podcast on. So once again, uh, Eva from Lockie and I would like to say thank you for coming on today, and uh, we hope to speak to you soon. It's been such a delight speaking with you both. Thank you. Awesome. All right. See you, everyone.